This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. We're looking this morning at verses 24 through 30, and then again 36 through 43. Matthew, chapter 13, verse 24. Hear the word of God. He, put, that is Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then down to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, we take to ourselves the study of your word this morning, and we recognize our need of your assistance, your grace your help to study your word, to understand it rightly. And Father, not just to understand it with the head, but to feel the burden of it and the personal application of it in our hearts. And so, Father, we pray for that as we study your word this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to this parable, we come to the first of the so-called kingdom parables that we find in Matthew's gospel and the rest of chapter 13 really is taken up with these parables about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And they begin with that phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, or as here, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. 
Now, we need to be careful because we need to recognize what Jesus is saying here. Jesus isn't saying the kingdom of heaven is like this man who did this. He's saying, rather, the kingdom of heaven is like this situation in which a man sowed seed in his field. Now, as we turn to this parable, we turn once again to an agricultural parable, much like the parable of the sower. Uh, but certainly a different point, a different meaning, a different application is in mind as we study this parable. Now, a question arises right up front, and we'll talk about this before we look at the details of the parable. And that has to do with who it is Jesus has in mind here. Is Jesus talking about the church, as many have taken this parable and applied it to the church, Uh, both wheat and weeds, or is Jesus talking about the world? Is Jesus talking about just the, the, the entirety of humanity? Well, it seems to me that Jesus himself answers that question rather decisively in verse 38. The field is the world. Hard to get much plainer than that. However, I would also say this. The church is in the world. And so what Jesus describes as being true of the world in general, that there are both wheat and weeds side by side in the world, then that situation also uh, is to be found in the church. And we'll look at that in in just a few moments, uh, how Jesus' parable applies to the church. But the lesson that Jesus wants us to remember here is this. In the world, there will always be a mixture of Christians and non-Christians to be sorted out and separated at the final judgment. Well, let's look at what Jesus says then about the wheat and the weeds. By the way, uh, if you're familiar with the King James or older translations, you may know the term tares, to re- T-A-R-E-S, to refer to the weeds. Uh, if I occasionally use the word the tares, uh, that's just another word referring to the weeds. In some ways, it's a useful term because weed sounds a lot like wheat. So if, uh, if you're confused when I say tares, I'm referring to the weeds. Well, Jesus talks in the first place about the source of the two. Where do they come from, both the wheat and the weeds? Where, where is their origin? Where are they to be found to have come from? Well, Jesus talks about that in parable form. He says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Went out and had seed, very little mixture of, uh, of impurity in it, and he sowed what he knew to be good seed. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came, and they sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. What they sow, uh, sowed was zizania or darnel, uh, a wheat-like plant, weed, that uh, in its germination and early growth is practically indistinguishable from wheat. Looks pretty much the same until the fruit, until the grain appears, and then at that point the distinction is quite clear. But early on, you really can't tell the difference between the two. Well, Jesus describes a situation where an enemy came in and scattered all kinds of weeds in amongst the wheat. And we think, well, you know, how, how practical is that? Does that really happen? Well, admittedly, that wouldn't happen very often, uh, but it certainly could happen if someone wanted to spoil the crop of another. In fact, uh, Henry Alford, uh, the, the uh, 1800s uh, New Testament scholar, describes a situation in his own life in the 1850s 
where someone came and sowed bad seed in his field in order to uh, drive down his prices and improve, uh, offered his prices and improve his own. So uh, this kind of thing certainly could happen, and certainly for the purposes of Jesus' parable, it did happen. Now, Jesus clearly explains, and he explains this later in the chapter that we read, the good seed is children of the kingdom, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Well, looking in terms of the world, what are we to make of that? Well, we'll have to go back to Genesis, to where God created Adam and then Eve in the garden. They were, they were the first citizens of the kingdom, in a sense. Uh, certainly, they were without sin. Uh, and then as their offspring came, we know how Cain killed his brother Abel. And the Lord raised up Seth in uh, Abel's place. And you see, from that point... Two lines moving forward, the line of those who were the recipients of God's grace and the line of those who were not. It divides from there the line of Seth, the line of Cain. Uh, We think of Abraham with the line of Ishmael and the line of Isaac uh, or Jacob and Esau. That division that takes place as God's grace moves along. One is not more righteous than the other, other than being the recipient of God's grace and God's covenant, God's blessings. So as we look at the world, we see a situation where there are those who are the recipients of God's blessing and grace, those who are not. And that distinguished uh, distinguish line continues to the present day. Those who are of the kingdom who receive God's grace and those who have not. Now, that's where these two come from. Now, we want to be careful not to apply the details too closely. After all, it says while... Uh, the men were sleeping, the enemy came. Was God asleep at the switch when the serpent showed up in the Garden of Eden? Well, of course not, absolutely not. Uh, And in fact, that was part of God's ultimate decree. That's not saying God was asleep when the enemy came in. purpose of the parable, that's the case. But Jesus isn't making a a point-for-point application, but describing the general situation. That's how we came to be in a world where you have both the believers and the unbelievers. Now, we look at the source of the two. Let's move on to the current condition of the two. Look at verse 28, second half of the verse. Uh, the, the master says in the first part, an enemy has done this. So the seed was good. Why is there weeds in my field? Well, an enemy has done this uh, out of malice, out of hostility. So the servant said, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. Now, the fact is, sown among each other, their roots would be intertwined. Uh, The plants would be uh, right there close to each other. It would be very difficult to go in and root out the weeds without damaging the wheat also. And so the current condition of the two is simply to continue, simply to grow side by side until the time of the harvest. Well, we can draw some um, inferences from that. First of all, Jesus is saying basically, in a sense, that until he returns, there will always be believers, there will always be unbelievers, uh, that it would be In fact, uh, unrealistic to expect the conversion of everyone before Jesus comes back. Now, I know those who hold a view, um, described as a post-millennial view, that sees Jesus as returning to a largely Christianized world. 
that the gospel will have gone through the earth, that it will be victorious, and Jesus will return to a church that has accomplished the Great Commission. Now, I have to say, I have a lot of sympathy with that view. And I would like to say that I would love for that view to be right. Uh, However, I see sufficient scripture that calls me to question that view, and this passage is one of those where Jesus describes the two existing side by side. Now, without getting into the details for and against how this would apply, this parable would apply to that millennial view, I would just say that for those who don't hold that view, uh, this parable is, is a primary reason to see both the line of the godly, the line of God's grace, and those of the ungodly proceeding side by side until the end. I certainly would love to see the church conquer the world by God's grace, uh, not in any military sense, but in the sense of the power of the gospel and Jesus come back to a largely Christianized world. Um, the other view uh, is, is that described as amillennial. Uh, I would describe myself as a very optimistic amillennial. Uh, who certainly believes in the power of the gospel to change lives and to change many lives. However, Jesus does describe a case where the wheat and the weeds are together until the end. Now, another inference we can draw from that, because that is true, is that as Christians, we should always be prepared to be living in a pluralistic environment. And the United States is certainly such now, perhaps more so than it ever has been in its history, where there are various ideas, various religions in the world. And in that sense, we are very much like the culture of the first century that our Christian forebears found themselves in, uh, in which the truths, the ideas, the teachings of the gospel Uh, in a sense, competed with the ideas of others in the world. I say in a sense because the truth of the gospel is empowered by the might of Almighty God himself and uh, and, and go forth not just in the power of their own merit, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, But we should be prepared to be in a world in which there are unbelievers with their ideas, uh, their teachings, their thinking, and challenge those with the truths of the gospel. Uh, Sure, we would all like to live in a nation or in a state or in a city where everybody's a Christian. But according to this parable, it's not going to be that way, and we should not expect that it should be that way. But we should be prepared as we to be living among the weeds, interacting, sharing the truth of the gospel, preaching the faith, and being prepared to live in a pluralistic environment. That is an idea where people hold many different kinds of ideas, where many different religions are being practiced and yet to let the light of the gospel shine in such a case. Now, what is true of the world is also true of the church. Take your hymnals. We're not going to sing a hymn. I want you to turn uh, to the back of the hymnal. To page 863 in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Because what, what is true of the world is also to some degree true of the church. That there is and will always be a mixture of wheat and weeds even within the church. And the confession teaches that. And look on ch- uh, page 863, chapter uh, 25, uh, the, the section entitled Of the Church. And uh, look at paragraph 4 where we read this Catholic Church. Now, it's not talking about the Roman Catholic Church, but the Holy Catholic or Universal Church, the church throughout the world. 
this Catholic church hath been sometimes more, sometimes less visible, and particular churches, which are members thereof, that is like us, Old Peachtree is a particular church, or the PCA, are more or less pure according as the doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced, ordinances administered, and public worship performed more or less purely in them. And then paragraph 5, The purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error, and some have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ but synagogues of Satan. Nevertheless, there shall be always a church on earth to worship God according to his will. What are they saying? Well, they're simply teaching what Jesus taught in this parable, that even in the most pure churches, there will always be some, perhaps, who are not regenerate. And as we've discussed recently, as a session, we receive people based on their profession of faith, but we don't know the true nature of their heart. We receive them based on the fruit of the gospel we see in their lives, such as we can witness it, but we don't know the true condition of their hearts. Uh, There are congregations uh, that may be made up of a majority of unbelievers, and yet are under the name of a Christian church or a particular denomination. Now, ideally... Uh, the church should be as pure, made up of believers, as possible. Um, Augustine, particularly, is known for his charitable view. that said, you don't know but that the tares might become wheat, and suggested that uh, we should be careful uh, about rooting supposed unbelievers out of the church. And there's something to be said for that. And yet God also gives the leadership of the church the responsibility for the purity of the church, for discipline, and so forth. So that if someone is a known believer, or unbeliever rather, and or is living in a way uh, consistently and without repentance, in a way contrary to the teaching of scriptures as to how a believer should live, then the session of a church is irresponsible if they don't address that. And perhaps ultimately, if there's no repentance forthcoming, to remove the person from the church as a tear, as, a, as, a, as apparently a, a weed Speaking in terms of the parable, of course, not in terms of their value as a human being, but in terms of the categories Jesus uses in the parable, an unbeliever. And so we do, as leadership of the church, have that responsibility. And yet recognizing that even in the most pure church, there will always be a mixture of belief, mixture of error, uh, despite our best efforts. So what is true of the world can also be true of the church, that there is this mixture. Well, then we come looking at the source, looking at the current conditions, current status of the two, to looking at the separation of the two. We see this in verse 30, and then in in verses 42 and 43. Uh, Jesus, as the the master, uh, the one who sows the seed, the Son of Man, says, Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I'll tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Well, Jesus explains it this way uh, in verse 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Well, he describes the separation, the judgment, the harvest that is to come. Now, he says that the weeds are gathered, they are bundled together, and they are burned. Uh, And Jesus makes it plain uh, that this will be the gathering of the wicked, the unbelievers who ultimately will be thrown into the fiery furnace, a place of weeping 
uh, a place of gnashing of teeth, an expression of anguish, an expression of torment, uh, a very um, disturbing picture, and is meant to be, because it is describing the fire of God's wrath. It is describing the eternal torments of hell. Now, if you're especially alert in this early hour of the morning, you might have caught in verse 41, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. Well, he's talking about sifting of the church, right? Well, yes, the church, but the world, because when the Son of Man comes, the world will be his kingdom. It is now, but it will be very much in evidence that the world is his kingdom. Kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Christ. Uh, so it will certainly include rooting out unbelievers within the church, but unbelievers in the world as well. Uh, but the gathering up of them, the bundling up of them to be burned. We've already had a reference to this in Matthew chapter 8, um, in verse 12, where Jesus actually speaks of sons of the kingdom, not so much in, in terms of believers, but descendants of Abraham, the Jews. But in their unbelief, he says, the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you may be familiar with Mark 9, 43 and following, where Jesus speaks of uh, the fire that doesn't go out, the fire that is not quenched, as he speaks of the torments of hell. Now, we don't want to minimize in any way the reality of that picture. Uh, I remember R.C. Sproul describing a situation where someone said to him, you don't really believe about the fire and the anguish and all that of hell, do you? That's, that's what hell's like. And Sproul said, no. He said, I think that's a symbolic language to describe something that's far, far worse. And it is. I mean, the image itself is, is a frightening one. And yet it's meant to be. Because the reality is that there are those in this world, and even people we know and love, who will be part of that bundled group of tares who are cast into the fire of hell to be burned under God's judgment. But what about the wheat? Well, Jesus says, the master said, gather the wheat into my barn. And he describes the wheat in verse 43. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Describing the, the glory, describing the beauty, describing the radiance that will be those, uh, belong to those who are with the Lord in heaven. Well, as we look at this parable, what are we to make of it? Well, first, it, it confronts us with two very def, dif, different destinations, either heaven or hell, either the blessing of God or the judgment of God, either the radiance of the redeemed in heaven or the anguish of the condemned in hell. You see, we don't want to misinterpret God's patience. That you are here today is, is God's patience if you are not a believer. Not his indifference. Not that he doesn't care about your sin, but his patience with you. Giving you time to repent. Giving you time to come to faith in Christ. Because now, as Paul says, is the day of salvation. Now is the time to repent of your sins. And to trust in the Lord Jesus who died for sinners that you might be redeemed that you might be saved. Yes, Jesus teaches this in a parable form, in a symbolic form, in a story form. But please do not make a mistake of thinking 
that this parable and the outcomes it describes are indeed very stark realities. Let's pray. Our Father, we are humbled by this parable to think that we should be wheat. But we recognize, Father, that is by your grace. Father, what do we have that we have not received from your grace? We're not better than others, that we should be wheat and not weeds. But, Father, we thank you that by your grace we have believed in Christ. We, we have experienced the forgiveness of our sins. But, Father, I pray, pray for members of my family, pray for members of this congregation who are weeds or may be weeds. Father, I pray that they indeed might become wheat before the day of harvest. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.